Kia ora, I'm Emil Donovan, and today on The Detail, New Zealand, as you might know, is an island. And because it was only settled by humans 900 or so years ago, it has a unique ecosystem. Lots of plants that aren't found anywhere else in the world. And this is cool. But it also means we have to be careful because ecosystems are delicate and introduced species from another part of the world can quickly become invasive, take a foothold and wreak havoc. Oh, marapiti, run rabbits, the Auckland Council's coming for you. A handful of bunnies have been seen hanging out in the Auckland domain in the central city, but authorities don't want them to, well, you know, breed like rabbits. One way of controlling invasive species is to bring in other species which essentially prey on the thing you don't like, using your knowledge to rebalance your environment. But sometimes the solution ends up being worse than the problem. The environmental group says a bumper crop of autumn seeds has fuelled a rat plague, but warns the worst is yet to come with a plague of stoats predicted next. And this is the thing. Species spread is really hard to control. We humans are very clever. You know, we send a rocket ship to the moon. But we also lost a war against emus. In Australia in 1932... A strange war would see a conflict between humans and emus. On November 8th, after the negative media coverage at the humorous failure to cull the emus and discussion in the Australian House of Representatives, the group withdrew. They had used up 2,500 rounds of ammunition and killed just 200 emus. But in some situations, when you're trying to limit the spread of an invasive species, you can turn to nature itself. And subject to approval, this might be happening soon. Manawatu and Whanganui could soon be home to a new foreign wasp. Horizons Regional Council has made an application to import... Uh, and release the bud-galling wasp to control the spread of an invasive casia scrub. Today on the podcast, the interesting, ambitious plan to introduce Australian wasps to stop the spread of an Australian weed. How the logistics of introducing a new insect to our environment actually work. And the prep work we've done to ensure we're not about to accidentally cross-engineer a murderous super wasp which will enslave humanity. Angela Bounds is an entomologist at Manaki Fenwa Landcare Research who works in the area of weed biocontrol. Weed biocontrol is the use of classical weed biocontrol, I should um, specify, is the use of natural enemies, um, particularly insects and mites and uh, plant pathogens to control invasive plants in their invaded ranges. Okay. So uh, we only target uh, weeds that are exotic. So in New Zealand's case, they don't belong here, and they've become big problems, and we go back to the region of origin and look for natural enemies that we can introduce, that are safe to introduce, to control the, the the target weed in the introduced range. Now, I mean, the existence of weed biocontrol, um, you know, by definition implies that there are invasive weeds uh, and plants that come to New Zealand that need to be biocontrolled. So, like, how does that actually work? How do invasive weeds or exotic weeds get here in the first place? 
quite a few different reasons. Um, so a lot of been have been accidentally introduced, um, maybe in stock feed, or even on people's clothing. Seeds may come in, you know, in people's shoes. And then, of course, a lot of species have been intentionally introduced for various purposes. A high number of, of plants have been moved all around the world as ornamentals mm-hmm. to be sold by nurseries and um, also for things like uh, dune stabilization um, or to be used as, as uh, food or fodder for, for animals. And New Zealand has a, has an enormous number of of invasive species, and in fact, the number of exotic species is higher than the number of New Zealand's native species, plant species. Wow. We're going to be talking about one of those exotic species uh, in particular, so let's do that. Um, we're talking about the Sydney golden wattle. Tell me about this. What does it look like? Uh, when did it come here and under what circumstances? So Sydney golden wattle is um, a, a shrub or a small tree. It's native to southeast Australia. It came from Australia and it was introduced uh, for ornamental purposes and uh, for dune stabilisation. I think it was recorded first recorded as naturalised in about 1897. Mm-hmm. It's not a weed of national significance, I should point out, but it's, um, has, it's has great importance locally for areas in Northlands, the, Northland, the Kaimama swamps, and also uh, the dunes of dune ecosystems of Horofenua and also Matakana Island are having huge problems with Cindy Golden Wattle now, and it looks like um, that's just accelerating. And we don't like Sydney Golden Wattle. Unfortunately, once was a good idea. Now it's moved from its purpose of stabilising sand dunes to invading our dunes, invading wetlands. So it's a transformer. It takes away from wetlands. Why not? We don't like Sydney Golden Wattle for quite a few reasons, actually. It's, um, it's, as a, it's a pr- prolific seed producer and has an extremely fast growth rate. So it can outcompete our native species. And, of course, with that, there are a whole lot of cascading effects, negative impacts on our ecosystems and our native biodiversity, everything that relies on our native plants to survive. It also is um, highly flammable, so it can increase the frequency and intensity of fires, and we suspect that that will become even more of a problem with climate change as um, the New Zealand environment may become more suitable uh, for this particular species. And also more recently it's been invading uh, uh, forest plantations, um, particularly um, in plantations with small pine trees, and then um, they will the, the Sydney Golden Wattle trees will be competing with the the forest trees for resources such as nutrients and water. Okay. Alternative control measures or conventional control measures have been tried with Sydney Golden Wattle. I know in the dunes of of Horofenua they have tried to manage the plant um, with chemicals. But it's very difficult because, with um, as with a lot of invasive weeds, it has Sydney golden wattle has a long-lived seed bank, mm. and the, it, because it's such a prolific seed producer, um, conventional control methods such as besides being you know a little bit more harmful to the environment, they're not sustainable. So it's very difficult to provide that sort of level of control, an acceptable level of control over a long period just because of the maintenance that is required and obviously with that the the enormous expense that's required. Sure. What are the potential implications if something like this is left unaddressed? 
Well, the problem has been accelerating, as I mentioned, and um, it will continue to get worse as these uh, dense thickets of, of Sydney Golden Wattle form, which is what it has a tendency to do. Uh, the, the, the spread will it'll continue to spread and also increase in density. And as it increases in density, the, the opportunities for our native um, plant species to grow and thrive are even more diminished because Sydney Golden Wattle seedlings have a rapid growth rate, so they... Um, outcompete any native um, seedling. So it will continue to spread, it will continue to increase in density. Yeah, it's a dog-eat-dog world and the Sydney Golden Waddle is the biggest dog in town. (laughs) So you you talked earlier about some of the different solutions that we have tried in the past and they haven't been effective for a variety of reasons but now a different solution has been proposed. Can you please tell me about this? So the the solution that we are proposing for the Sydney Golden Wattle pro- problem in New Zealand is biological control, uh, classical biological control using a natural enemy of Sydney Golden Wattle from the weeds native range to introduce to New Zealand to bring it under control. The agent in this case is a wasp, yeah? Is a wasp. What does this wasp do? Well, it's a, it's a tiny little wasp. It's only three to four millimetres in length. And uh, the females uh, lay their eggs into the buds of, the, of Sydney Golden Wattle. As the, the plant develops and the buds start to develop, the larva hatches and um, this sends a chemical signal to the plant to develop a gall instead of a flower. The plant, instead of producing a pretty flower, that will then produce seeds the plant produces these abnormal sort of growths, these knobbly deformities, which we, we call gold, mm-hmm. galls. Um, and these galls, so they act as a protective environment for the larvae. And these galls also are what we call energy or nutrient sinks. So the plant diverts a lot of its resources to growing the galls uh, rather than it would normally have invested in growth okay. uh, of the plant. All right, so correct me if I'm wrong or if I'm oversimplifying here, but basically Sydney Golden Wattle is spreading and the spread is intensifying uh, in certain places in New Zealand, and we don't like this because, boo, Sydney Golden Wattle. So our plan to control this spread is to import some wasps whose sole purpose in life is to continue the reproductive cycle, and their reproductive cycle happens to stop the reproductive cycle of Sydney Golden Wattle. Am I oversimplifying or is that pretty much it? No, no, you've, you've nailed it. That's exactly what um, the, the, the gall wasp does. Um, it produces a seed production of Sydney Golden Wattle, prevents the formation of flowers, and that means less seeds going into the system, and that means less seeds that uh, germinate or spread to new areas to start new infestations. Barbara Barrett is an entomologist and biocontrol expert who works at Ag Research. If we were telling the story, Barbara, of how stoats came to New Zealand, where would that story begin and how would it unfold? Well, obviously, stoats were introduced quite a long time ago into New Zealand to control rabbits. And it was very unfortunate that this this introduction was made. Obviously, it's um, caused a lot of problems with some of our native species being attacked by stoats, and uh, they've 
they've turned out to be a major vertebrate pest. It was misguided, probably seemed like a good idea at the time, but was totally misguided and was not thought through as to what the implications could be. We're going to be talking about biocontrol agents. And in this case, the stove is the agent, correct? Correct. And so the mistake that we made is that the agent had too many hosts. It had too many things that it could eat and survive and thrive off rather than just rabbits. And so it had a much more severe impact on the environment and the ecosystem as a whole than it should have done. Yes, that's absolutely right. That's exactly right. And and some of the worst examples of, of biological control going wrong, if you like, have been with vertebrates. Vertebrates as biocontrol agents. Most biocontrol um, these days is really controlling invertebrates or weeds and there's very little now done with vertebrates and they have been all around the world, they've been the worst examples of biocontrol um, going wrong, if you like. We talked about stoats and rabbits before, which obviously is sort of a harbinger of doom when it comes to you know biocontrol agents and introducing species into this country, but I'm presuming that you know, this is a technique that we still use. There must have been many more success stories than there were catastrophic mistakes. Could you go through a few of them? Oh, absolutely. Um, we've we've introduced something like 300 biocontrol agents into New Zealand mm-hmm. um, over the years, starting in, I think, 1870. Um, ladybirds were introduced to control aphids, and they're still doing that quite successfully. Mm-hmm. Um, And so 300 biocontrol agents against something like 100 target pests and about half of those have become established and a fair proportion of those would have been successful. And there have been some real successes in, in New Zealand with biological control and throughout the world. Tell me a bit about the the mechanisms and the safeguards that are in place to make sure that we don't have like a stoat 2.0 situation. An applicant who um, might be... Uh, regional councils or uh, a Crown Research Institute that that works in a particular area um, identifies uh, a pest that they think might be suitable for a biocontrol program. They then uh, go, often they go back to the country of origin of the pest and find, find out what the natural enemies are there in the country of origin and um, identify one or two that they think might be worth pursuing further. Um, they have to apply to the EPA to bring these um, potential biocontrol agents into containment in New Zealand. And if they are approved, then the agency can carry out host range testing to see how safe they're going to be. And that all goes into their eventual application to release the biocontrol agent. So the application goes to the EPA, that's the Environmental Protection Authority. Often in consultation with the EPA, the applicant and the EPA look at the application and work through it and see whether it looks as though it's likely to be approved. The application is then formally accepted, formally notified. It's a public process. Anybody in the public can read the application and can make submissions. 
there are a lot of checks and balances and the EPA look at not only risks, but they also look at benefits. So if a biocontrol agent might um, have a minor impact or it's predicted that it might have a minor impact on a non-target species, something that we don't really want it to attack, but the benefits are absolutely massive, either economically or environmentally, then it could still be approved. But um, it is a risk benefit balance and that's what the EPA have to consider and the authority in their final decision making. I know Barbara that you're not too closely involved with this application in Manawatu Whanganui but talking generally about it I put it to you that you know the misgiving that people might have about this relates not to the idea that an exotic species is being introduced into Aotearoa but that the particular exotic species happens to be a wasp. People don't like wasps and wasps have bad PR. Yes. Yes, it is unfortunate that um, a, a lot of biocontrol agents are wasps. Yeah. But they're not vespids. They're not these yellow and black things that, that disrupt your picnic outside and sting you. They're, they're mostly not. They're, I mean, none of them are. They're all very small. This particular one that you're referring to is about two or three millimetres long. It's tiny and it doesn't sting people. So it's just unfortunate that, that the name wasp has this this connotation that people sort of, you know, throw up their hands in horror. Oh, not another wasp. These wasps that we're thinking of introducing, where do they kind of come from and how do you go about getting them? Like, are, they, are there wasp dealers? And, and <laughs> do we like, do we roll over to Australia and like do a shadowy exchange underneath the bridge? Like, <laughs> Well, yeah, we are actually in negotiations with um, colleagues in South Africa to assist us with yeah. Uh, releasing the gall wasp should we get approval from the Environmental Protection Authority a bit later this year. Um, but the the gall wasp was uh, this uh, Trichelogaster acacia longifolia, I should add. Um, it probably wow. has one of the longest names of any weed biocontrol agent. Gesundheit. <laughs> um, so the South Africans would have originally collected the gall wasp in Australia and released it least it there. Because it's been so successful and so well established and we have a really good um, collaboration and working relation with colleagues in South Africa, we have asked them to assist us with the releases here in New Zealand. So what we are planning, this, uh, and I should also add that this protocol still needs to be approved by NPI, mm-hmm. we're hoping that uh, one of our collaborators there will be able to travel from South Africa to New Zealand a bit later in the year with galls infested with late instar larvae or pupae of the wasp. Mm-hmm. The galls will then be held in our containment facility and once the, gall, the, the wasps start emerging, the adult wasps which are ready to lay eggs onto Sydney gall and wattle plants, uh, our collaborator will positively identify the wasps as they emerge and once we have enough of them, we will take them up to Horofenua uh, to the Sydney Golden Wattle infestations there and release batches of the wasp as we have enough um, once they've emerged. We do have other protocols in place to make sure that a direct field release is safe. We will be doing disease testing on a subset of the larvae that are inside the galls that are destined to come to New Zealand. And we will also be surface sterilising all the galls before we import them here just in case there's anything on the surface of the galls that we don't 
weren't um, accidentally introduced here. So we are putting quite a few measures in place to make sure that we um, can release the, the wasps safely. Well, let's talk a, bit, a little bit about that safety aspect because I think that's the thing that's going to freak most people out. There's this like nightmare situation where we bring these new wasps in and then they interbreed with German wasps or something and a new breed of indestructible, deadly super wasp comes in and kills us all. Andrew, is that going to happen? Please tell me that's no, not going to happen. it's definitely not going to happen. Okay. No, I was thinking, if I was asked this, it's in the insect world it's like saying that a, a domestic cat and a tiger would would interbreed and and reproduce if they bunched, bumped into each other. That would be terrifying. <laughs> that would be terrifying, but that, that, that can't happen though, right? That can't happen, and not only because the tiger will very quickly eat the domestic cat. They are different species, and they can't, they're not going to interbreed. And, I mean, although hybridization, um, a crossing of two species, has, can occur in insects, it's very rare. Mm. The Vespula wasps that we really don't like and we're also trying to control with biological control are very, very distantly related to the little gall wasps, so it's impossible that they will crossbreed and okay. turn into something mutant. Are you a fan of The Simpsons, Angela? Oh, I haven't watched it for many, many years, but yes, I used to watch a bit of The Simpsons. There's a great episode of The Simpsons uh, in season 10, where someone accidentally brings these lizards, Bolivian lizards, into Springfield, and Bart, like, adopts two of them, and they, they start to flourish, and everyone in, in Springfield's like, oh no, these lizards here, they're from Bolivia, they're not meant to be here. But then then it, it, it turns out that these lizards eat pigeons, and, and pigeons are annoying. And so everyone's like, oh, great, the pigeons are here. And so the end of, at the end of the episode, Lisa is talking to Principal Skinner. Well, I was wrong. The lizards are a godsend. But isn't that a bit short-sighted? What happens when we're overrun by lizards? No problem. We simply unleash wave after wave of Chinese needle snakes. They'll wipe out the lizards. But aren't the snakes even worse? Yes, but we're prepared for that. We've lined up a fabulous type of gorilla that thrives on snake meat. But then we're stuck with gorillas. No, that's the beautiful part. When wintertime rolls around, the gorillas simply freeze to death. And I know that a lot of biologists don't like the expression playing God mm. for understandable reasons. But it's a fascinating responsibility that institutions such as yours and, and MPI and the National Biosecurity Collective are sort of entrusted with here, isn't it, is maintaining that balance that you're talking about. Yeah, you're right. It is a it is an enormous responsibility, and that's why uh, you know it goes through sort of a rigorous regulatory protocol. But also, although very few weed biocontrol agents uh, worldwide have had significant unintended consequences or impacts on native plants, the science is continually improving to make it as safe as it can possibly be, and that's something that New Zealand takes very seriously. Some of our scientists do a lot of research into learning from previous experience to, as I said, make it safer and make it as effective as it possibly can be. What happens with biocontrol agents, as I said earlier, very rarely does a biocontrol agent cause eradication of its host. It would never kill every last one because as the numbers of the host decline, then the numbers of the biocontrol agent are going to decline as well. And then if the numbers of the host rise again, then the biocontrol agent will be able to increase in numbers too. So there's a sort of two waves, if you can imagine, one following the other mm. with, with, the, um, with the host or the pest and the biocontrol agent. So you're not likely to get to a stage where these wasps are going to overrun New Zealand and, you know, there's no more trees left for them to attack and 
So they look for the next thing. What can we do now? What are we going to attack now? It doesn't really happen like that. It's really a, a naturally controlling process where when the pest numbers go down, the biocontrol agent numbers will slightly delayed in time, but they will go down too. Hmm. What we're doing is trying to reinstate something that happens naturally in another country. So you have a, um, a tree species in, in another country, in Sydney, say, in, in Australia, and there, it has a suite of natural enemies. And one of these seems to be quite effective, and it's this little wasp. The tree has come to New Zealand, and the wasp didn't come with it. So we go and find something that's going to control the tree and does it naturally in Australia, we bring it to New Zealand. So all we're really doing, I mean, you could say if you want to use the God example, that God, um, that, 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 that situation evolved under God's control, if you like, that we have these checks and balances. All we're really trying to do is bring those checks and balances here since the tree is now out of balance and we're just trying to reinstate that balance so that there is an, a natural enemy that's evolved with the tree that's been brought to help reinstate a naturally evolved balance of species. Public submissions on the proposal close on September the 30th. That's it for today. I'm Emile Donovan. The detail is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. Today's episode was engineered by William Saunders and produced by Sarah Robson. Bonnie Harrison is our associate producer. And thanks to Barbara Barrett and Angela Bounds. Matewa.